Hey, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. Super excited today to bring you a show that's a little bit different. Not necessarily in style, because it's a conversation between me and some other inspiring, amazing humans, but so many of you have asked over the years about awareness practice and mindfulness and meditation. And while I've covered those as in how I do my particular practice, I thought it'd be cool to start bringing in some people who are the best in the world or recognized or have built up an amazing practice of their own in these fields. So I'm excited to welcome to the show today two women. One, Sherry Huber. She's the author of more than 20 books on Zen. She is a, has been a student and a teacher of Zen for more than 35 years, the founder of the Mountain View Zen Center, the Zen Monastery Peace Center, and an organization called Living Compassion, which is a nonprofit dedicated to peace and service. Also a part of the conversation, Ashwini Narayanan. And Ashwini co-facilitates and creates workshops with Sherry all over the world. Also runs the operations for the two nonprofits that Sherry has founded. Um, today's conversation with these two women is profound in that what we're trying to talk about is a framework for navigating life. And in short, for ending suffering. Now, if you know anything about Zen, now Zen is not just the, the practice of keeping things nicely organized in your world. It's also a spiritual practice uh, that has a lot to do with awareness and where you place attention. So part of the way that I like to think about this in this conversation, uh, what we take it up in this conversation is if you had a, an operating system for life, if you had a way of viewing the world um, with wonder and not assuming that you know everything, and as soon as you get uh, one or two layers deep, you start to realize that we have thousands of scripts that we're telling ourselves that I'm too much this, not enough that. Uh, this creates, in the, the tradition of Zen, a, a gap. It creates suffering, where suffering is, I believe, and I think in this tradition, believe is unnecessary. And if we can avoid it, now I'm not talking about pain. We all have pain, and you've heard me say this before. I wrote it in my book. Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So. In today's conversation, I want to explore this suffering that we all have, this feeling of not being enough, of not being tall enough, smart enough, creative enough, uh, this lack of that we experience in our culture, and try and find a way using the practices that these two women are illustrating and that we, we do talk about in not just the 20 books that, that Sherry's written, but this one in particular most recently, uh, Don't Suffer, Communicate, Try and find a, a, a sort of an operating system for how to manage these voices that we have in our head and get back to what truly matters to us and the true essence of our spirit, uh, of the human spirit, which is awesomeness and love and kindness and connection. So I want to leave you with this amazing conversation with yours truly, Sherry and Ashwini. Let's take it away. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I got a favor to ask. I've got a new book out called Creative Calling. And of course, I would love for you to pick up a copy or two or 10, but here's why. This is not about a transaction. Of course, I want to sell as many books as I can, but this isn't about my bank account or the publisher. This is about a message and a movement. This is about the fact that there's creativity inside of every person and that if we understand that we each can harness this creativity and use it to channel uh, our, our creativity, not just to make things on a daily basis, yes, that's valuable, but to be able to create the living life that we want for ourselves 
and ideally for those around us. And right now, everyone has someone in their life who either doesn't identify as a creator or for whom they could use a bump, a nudge, a little bit of a push around their creative calling in life. And it's my hope that this book, I put everything I have into this book, everything. And if you could help me be the messenger for this by delivering them a copy of the book, um, picking up a copy uh, yourself, and of course, sharing that you are reading this book um, with your audience, that would mean everything to me. It's so important that we rally as a community around the ideas that we believe in, and this is my ask to you. So thank you very much. And now, okay, now let's get into today's episode. That's Thank true, you. isn't it? Okay, I was looking over at our sound technician, Nasa, over there. Well, welcome to Creative Live. Thanks so much for, for being here. Um, I, wanna, I want to open up our conversation um, with a slight framing, and that is a very basic one that my wife came into your work about a decade ago, uh, and by association brought me in. I was curious to, she was, um, was very, very excited to find your work, and uh, I participated in a couple of events y'all had. I did the bridge walk, and um, and we have a mutual friend in Neil Strauss. I know you've done some work with him and his group. Um, but I was just super intrigued to, uh, and rather than me trying to do a bad job of explaining it, um, I would love it if Sherry and you, Ashwini, would just orient us in this conversation about the work that you do, what your your the mission and vision is for your organizations, and how you spend your time. Okay. Um, so, I, I came across Buddhism many, many years ago, and uh, I actually read a book by a guy named D.T. Suzuki, who was probably the first person to bring uh, anything about Zen into the United States. I, I came across his book called What is Zen, and uh, I had no idea what the man was talking about, <laughs> none, Okay. but I knew I wanted to know what he knew. And so that was the start. And I began to look for, um, how do you find out about this? And, and it just simply didn't exist. But then I found another book, which um, was by a Vietnamese Zen master. And he taught people how to meditate. And he said, count the breath. Okay. And so I started counting the breath. And at one point, I drove from San Jose, uh, California, to Medford, Oregon, which was 10 hours. And I counted the breath the entire time. And I got there, and I was so insane that, uh, that I was actually dangerous. I mean, I would go into places, and I was just so high that uh, it was like I was on some... some and drugs were big then. Yes, Okay, so... If, if, Just like now. in time. Yeah, yeah. like now. Yeah. But uh, it was uh, the, other, uh, yeah, the other era of pot. Yes. And uh, so, in a sense, it didn't, it didn't stand out too much, right? Yeah. But I knew I was crazy. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I was just completely hooked. I, I got it that, that being present in that way will change your entire orientation to everything. So then it was find a, find a Zen monastery and find a teacher where I could train. Uh, and so that happened. And since then, that's all that has been of interest to me. I, I fell in love with Zen. I have never fallen out. I've never questioned our relationship for a second. <laughs> and, um, and so it's just evolved over time. 
So the first book that uh, that I did, I'll let you have a second uh, here in a second, okay? <laughs> uh, the first book is called The Key, and the name of The Key is Willingness. And I wrote that simply because I was tired of saying the same thing over and over and over. It's useful, then, isn't it? If you put it down in words, yeah, then I you thought, can just well, say, see my book. That's <laughs> right. If we, you know, if you, now, this was, of course, before computers or before any of that. It was the uh, old days. And so if you wanted to do a book, you had to have it typeset, yeah. right? Well, we didn't have any money. You know, I had just started a Zen Center. And uh, so I had a friend um, who was part of the Zen Center. And I said, and she was artistic and had two degrees in English. And I thought, well, this is a gift from the gods, right? So I asked her if she could write the book. And so she hand-lettered it and drew the little pictures in it. And, and we had it printed, right? Wow. And that's, that's how it started. And then, so I thought, you know, once I explained this to everybody, they'd get it. And your work would be done. And they'd stop suffering. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, because it was so clear and easy. And they didn't. And so then it was just the next, you know, the next what is going on, and the next what is going on, and the next what is going on. That started your journey, apparently. And that, that's been it, the, whole, the whole thing. And for, for our audio listeners, um, I'm, that's Sherry who's been speaking, and you're seated next to Ashwini. And I, I know from uh, the awareness of your organization that you two work very closely together. Um, Ashwini, can you give us a little context on uh, the, the layer now that you've, you're several books in and you've, you, I understand, run some of the operations, um, right. but I've also heard you on the radio shows together and um, give me a little bit of insight in how, how you're, um, you, you started helping with the organization. Um, several things. So I, I share, it's, it's serendipity, right? Yes. If, you're meant to, if it's meant to happen, it, it's going to. So when I graduated from business school, I had actually picked up one of Sherry's books, how, how, how You Do Anything is How You Do Everything. And I worked through that workbook in order to find my first job. And of course, I just forgot about it. That was, I don't know, gosh, 1994 or something, 1996? Yeah, 1996. And I completely forgot about it. And years later, when I was doing my first social enterprise, I was invited to a, a conference where they introduce you to delegates in the conference. There were 300 delegates, and there was only one person who I wanted to meet. There wasn't a picture of her. There wasn't anything other than her website, which said, transforming lives and ending suffering. Now, Ashwini, may I interrupt you just for yeah. a second? Because you, at that point, were the head of uh, Microplace, right. which was eBay's, PayPal's, eBay's social uh, enterprise, social enterprise uh, operation. So it was a, it was a very... It was a very big deal yeah. and a very big conference that she was uh, helping to facilitate people at. So it just so there just is for a, context. Just right? for context. It wasn't some little let's get together in somebody's garage and talk about this. OK, go ahead. Anyway, so I saw Sherry's name and her uh, her website and I decided I wanted to meet her. And you can say the rest is history because I met her at the conference. I talked to her several times. She invited me to come on retreat. I had no, I made no connection to the person who had started my business journey at all. And then um, I went on retreat. It's the foundational retreat that we offer in this practice. It's called There's Nothing Wrong With You. It's mm -hmm. Sherry's bestseller book. My life was completely transformed. I quit my job and moved to the monastery. <laughs> and as you say, the rest this is history. history. <laughs> so the, the thing that, you know, Chase, the, there's, I've always been a person who's followed 
wanted to be religious because there's something that was in me that was always dissatisfied, right? And I've done it. I've done Sufism. Wait a minute. <laughs> I have to interrupt again. Uh, so for anybody who knows anything about Hinduism, yep. uh, her caste is Brahmin. Okay. So her, her mother is a uh, Sanskrit scholar. And uh, so she comes from, you know, eons of priests. And in fact, your name means something. Don't let's go there. Okay. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, it, it's, a, it's a very steeped in, in Hinduism, right? I mean, from tiny child yeah. all the way up. And then like 12 years or something of Catholic school. Um, I, I was very religious, and then I went and uh, with the, uh, lived with the Sufis for a bit. But what attracted me to this practice, I mean, we say it's Buddhist, but what I would say is it's Zen awareness practice. And the, the thing that most attracted me to this practice is that it's, a, it's, a, it's very scientific. Hmm. It's truly, the Buddha said you can wake up and end suffering, and he offered a way to end suffering. And there are many traditions that I have practiced with that purport to assist you to do that. Okay. But this practice really worked for me. That huh. the, the step-by-step process by which you can be aware of what is going on in terms of the conditioned patterns of thinking, doing, feeling, that you can bring into an awareness and then transcend those. Mm -hmm. That the script that runs me is something I can observe and gain knowledge over, and then make a choice when I can see it run, mm -hmm. and a, a model and a framework for doing that. All right, this is this is that okay. is that's what you your your orientation is around that practice. Is that what you? That's right. Okay. That that's what it offers, which I haven't experienced with any other um, spirituality offering. or offering. Yes, or that there's a way yeah. in which you could do this. It's very clear, it's very structured, and if you do it, you'll have the result. All right, I'm gonna play like Western dumb guy, which is a role I'm fine with. <laughs> so <laughs> words like meditation, mindfulness, awareness, these are words that are a lot more popular in our, in, in our I would say, recent history, um, or they've come more into my awareness more recently. Um, I have had a meditation practice. I help other people like understand the the virtues and how it's helped me but this what I want to try and break down and work through I feel like is you covered in a handful of sentences basically a lifetime of work and a lifetime of, of opportunity so that's like she things like, like that yeah awareness <laughs> um, and I'm gonna try and paraphrase I may I may butcher it but you were talking about basically a framework for looking at the mind that you think is you think is your mind the way that i talk about it is it's the mind and you have to learn to drive the mind and these are just my, my little personal words for it but if we just break down this stuff for just a second around mindfulness awareness meditation let's take e each one of these things in maybe a piece because it'll help relate to the people who are listening on the other end right now like okay great so there's a Zen practice that helps me be in charge and observe this other. May I? Yep, please. Okay. So the difficulty that that people run into mm -hmm. is that we're brainwashed. Mm -hmm. So uh, from day one, uh, uh, with little kids, uh, brainwashed, right? And we get to the the stage of cup, 
cup. It's a cup. Okay. Yeah. And and after a while, you forget that that's not a cup. We just go. So Alan Watts, who's a great hero of mine, uh, would talk about being hungry. You go into the restaurant and eat the menu. And that's that's where most people are. Yeah. So when we even when we talk about the mind, almost nobody knows what they're talking about. So the world that has been created for us, that we are brainwashed into believing is reality, is just a complete fiction. We're the only ones. My teacher used to say, everybody lives in a universe of one. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And we think then that what we're experiencing is reality. And it's not. And so what Ashwini is, is describing with that is turning attention onto awareness such that you can actually see what's happening without having an interpretation or a relationship with it. So we actually, you know, we'll use the word meditation, but we actually don't do meditation. Because meditation and mindfulness both require somebody to do it. Okay, so you're going to be somebody who is watching yourself. And that is, um, that's being actually led astray. Is it because there's a separation? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's all I got right there. I just, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the only point I'm going to score today. No, no, no. That was very good. You, you went right there. That's exactly it. If I may add to what Cherry was saying. So what you're, you're pointing to is we cease to uh, have a direct experience of anything because we have a mental experience of it not an actual experience of it. So a cup ceases to be a cup because I no longer experience the cup because I know as soon as I see that object that I'm referencing a, con a conceptual cup. Yeah. That, and, and if you extend that to a relationship or to life or to why I'm unhappy or my story of existence or anything, you're always referencing that mental construct. construct. Yeah. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I'm never here for what my experience is. And if I'm not here for my experience, then I, I tend to always know that something is missing. That's great. That's right? helpful. That's very helpful. So a little background for those folks listening who may or may not know this about me. My background is in philosophy. I, went to, I was in a PhD program in philosophy and quit that for lots of reasons, one of which is a, the construct of the teaching was really... Uh, I didn't love the orientation of graduate school and whatnot, but was inspired by things like the nature of reality and the nature of self and the nature of wisdom and knowledge. And, um, and there was just enough in there that I did like. I didn't like the construct, but I, I, there was enough of it that I really valued. And that's what has, I feel like, helped me along the path that I find myself on now. So I'm intrigued by... I'm just going to reference something you just said, Ashwani, which is the stories we tell ourselves. And I think one of the things that I'm hoping people can take from this conversation is like there's a handful of nuggets that they could say, I can apply this today. And so in order to do that, I think we need to place a little bit more context on our conversation. For example, suffering. So um, I have said, and you guys should throw some rocks at this, but I have said that Pain is not optional. Everyone will experience pain. The suffering part is optional. You know, we have a book by that title. No, awesome. Because <laughs> suffering is optional. Okay. <laughs> and it says that. Okay. That pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Okay. Yeah. So I think that is a phenomenal 
um, place to ground this next part of our conversation because for someone listening right there, they're like, I understand what pain is. I, you know, someone steps on my toe or I hurt myself or I am hurt emotionally. Um, and yet, how is that distinct from suffering? So I was wondering if you could talk about that, Sherry. Well, the one-liner that goes with that is that um, suffering is what happens to us when we believe that there's something wrong with what is. So uh, if, if we have a, a loss, you know, we, uh, a loved one dies, and there's tremendous pain with that, um, but it becomes suffering if, it, if it's wrong, if it was a mistake, if it shouldn't have happened. If we, and so that's, this, that's where it becomes the story. We leave the actual experience of what happens, and we go into a story about that, and then we suffer. And again, you said about just, why someone likes us, or why we are hurt, or why this happened to us and not someone else. Is that what you mean? By yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, and the story is, it, you know, it goes back to the cup, right? Yeah. Because we're always in a story about something. So, so ego, which is a huge part of what we we talk about. Ego only seems to exist in an imaginary past and an imaginary future. So the conversation in the head is always that. People are always referencing something from the past that was not I good shouldn't enough. have done this. I shouldn't have done it, and the reason this isn't in that, or the future. Well, that's not gonna work, that can't happen. Because, Next time I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. Exactly, but right here in the present, there is no story, right? So, yeah. which is why we wanna live here, yeah. where everything is possible, everything is available to us, and there's no story about someone separate, which is what you mentioned a minute ago. Yeah. There's no separate person to have a story about what what is. It's very powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah. So with the with the people that you spend time talking to, yeah, that's the whole deal. Uh, so every great creative person will say has nothing to do with me. It just comes through me. Yeah. It just occurred to me. It just, I just saw it. I just realized it, right? When we are in that place, then life flows through us and we call it creative, but it actually is just being alive. It's presence. It's, it's presence, yeah. yeah. And then when we step into that ego, now there's something wrong and there's not enough and I can't and it's never gonna happen and what about this and what about that? And so. I made a couple of notes here. One of them is, why is this so hard? <laughs> like, because because we're, we're just surrounded by because it? we're brainwashed. Got it. Okay. Because we're brain. So if we go back to the cup, you know, if we have a toddler here, mm-hmm. uh, and for those who are listening, we have a there's there's a cup. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's we have a cup on the table. <laughs> Sherry's drinking some tea or something, and it's like there's a cup sitting on the table in front yeah. of us. And uh, so if we had somebody who's say twelve months old, thirteen okay. months old just able to get around on its little pegs. This is not a cup, right? It's, yeah. it's I mean, you could anything, but yeah. if there's something in it, there's no concern about it spilling. In fact, that would be fun. Yeah. That would be really interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's what we've lost. That's, that's direct experience of what, whatever, whatever is here, whatever is happening right now. There's no conversation about it. Yeah, it right? could be anything, it could do anything. It, it could, could be, be anything, it could do anything. But what we've traded is direct experience for a conversation about. 
So all of our thinking and all our, our speaking is metaphorical, right? And we've lost that ability to just be here. Let me be, let me try and, and put myself in the position of a question that someone who's sitting in Illinois is gonna ask right now. They're saying like, great, well, if everything is potentially anything, because we're gonna just walk up and experience it, we don't know, we don't have this idea of spilling the cup or whatever, let's be real practical for a second. How do I get anything done? Because if I'm walking around like saucers with everything, oh my gosh, this thing that is on hinges and has a knob on it, I don't know what it is. Should I pretend that I don't know what it is? No. This is, no. this is I'm, I'm no, because, being sort of facetious. The, but. So we talk about what most people talk about is God. Mm -hmm. So people will ask me, and so as a Buddhist, you don't believe in God, right? And I will say to them, as a Buddhist, I don't believe there's anything that isn't God. So the intelligence that is doing this, that is animating all of this, is perfectly intelligent. It doesn't need to have a conversation about a cup in order to function. That's what's getting in our way. That's what's keeping us from being able to function, is that we're living in this conversation instead of actually being here. So if I may say something, the, the reason why that, what is asking the question is really what we want to bring attention to as the thing that's preventing us from having the experience of, we don't do anything in the first place. I mean, if we really, if we really look at it, I'm not, I, the only reason I feel like I'm doing this is because I'm programmed to reference that as I'm, I'm lifting the cup. Yeah. The cup is being lifted I don't need to think about lifting the cup or, or if, if I actually paid attention to that experience, I would not ask the question about how would I get things done, right? Because yeah. we just do things. And we, and we <laughs> suffer because we believe we're doing something. As soon as you believe you're doing something, then you believe you can, you're not going to be able to do it or it's not going to go the way you want it to go. But if we're not the doers, if we're actually just being, that's where everything happens. That's where the best stuff is. That's it. That's where the creativity is. That's where the effectiveness, the efficiency. You know, people, uh, <laughs> again, that same kind of notion that, well, if I'm present, then, but what people don't understand is that presence is doing everything. So if you want to be really effective and really efficient, if you want to work hard and get a lot done, be present. Not caught in a conversation about, well, I'm not sure, and... Uh, maybe and if I, I don't want to and I don't want to I don't feel like it, it and maybe I'll do it later do, or, and, or, yeah. <laughs> you guys have heard a lot of that you guys oh, have a little, little chorus oh right there oh my gosh have we heard a lot of that well, uh, yes yeah. go ahead Ashwini sorry, sorry I was just going to say that it's sort of related to something you mentioned earlier right that all of that the um the energy that's available, it takes a lot of energy to be stuck in your mental conversation to go I don't want to I don't like it's this, hard. it's too hard, I don't know whether, I mean, if, if we want to um, have the energy of life animating us, then being in that conversation takes away the energy. Yeah. And it's a very real experience that when I attempt to move the attention to being here, there's a tremendous resistance to that, right? It's all of the arguments, it's not going to work, that's not you know, that's, that's just something you say, you can't really be productive. We don't see that it's the same process that we're in all the time that is attempting to 
maintain itself by having our attention, yeah, right? That's the ego. That, right? yeah, yeah, or yes, the ego, the resistance, the, the, the alternative to being here. And it does have, if we give it energy, it does have momentum. And so if we don't train ourselves not to give it attention, then it's going to run the show. So I sit down to do something like write, and it's like, oh God, I don't know what to write. <laughs> and shall I say something about something and whatever else? But when you're in that space where life writes, then you're not in that conversation where you can't write. The focus of the attention is not on what you cannot do. Right. It's on being here so you are animated to do it. And the ego is no to life's yes, right? That's what the ego is. It just comes in a split second behind whatever happens and says no. No. That's unrealistic. That's not possible. That's not possible. It yeah, won't work. You can't do that. It won't work. Come on. That is a cup. And Right. <laughs> and if we go back to the little kid thing, uh, you know, parents are just worn out by little kids because the little kid is not doing any of that stuff. Is just here with all that energy. And you can watch it. By the time kids uh, become adolescents, ego's got them. Yeah. And they're exhausted and they're depressed and um, all of those things because they have moved from here into their head. From childlike wonder to the prescription. That's right. The conditioning. Reality. And yeah, into the conditioning. it's not going to work. I can't do it. I'm not as cute as she is. I'm not as smart as he is. I'm not, I'm never going to get into college. I'm not going to, how can I? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. What I'm fascinated by, I, I'm, I'm buying this. Again, part of my background is really curious about this and the nature of reality. And, um, and there's a trouble that I have reconciling something. And my wife is a, is a part of your, your community. And we have conversations that um, go something like this. Like, well, that's something that ego is asking for or wanting or... Uh, and then there's another part of the conversation a couple of minutes later where it's like, well, this would be a preference. Like, I would prefer to not skin my knee, but... But you did. Yeah, but I did, clearly. <laughs> We're referencing a hole in my jeans right now. <laughs> so how do you both be present and... Uh, unaware and and yet and have preferences like, i know the answer i can't wait this is, okay. this is driving me crazy and, and uh, are you a fan of ramdas of course okay yep so um so this is a ramdas story All a right. friend of mine just made an album with him ah yes very uh, fun yeah some they pressed some original vinyl his name is i don't a friend is probably too strong word justin bereda is his name from a band called The Glitch Mob, and they did some recordings and they made some ambient music. It's great. We should find a way to get them here. To that. Yes. Yep. So, um, so in the moment, okay. you realize that you need to make a dentist appointment. So, in the moment, you pick up the phone and you call the dentist. And in the moment, you make an appointment for two months in the future. And in the moment, you go to see the dentist. So, we would say, that's two months in the future, but it's all happening in the moment. Okay. Right? Okay. So, a, a corollary with that is, so um, we think that we're going to be on a plane back to uh, California this evening. 
we have reservations. I have my boarding pass on my phone, so it is definitely going to happen. Maybe not. And that's the difference. So we can plan whatever in the moment, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And that, to me, is what people suffer over more than just about anything else. I have it in my mind, and so somehow it's true. But having it in my mind just has it in my mind. And even on your phone. And even on your phone. <laughs> your right. boarding pass doesn't That's mean right. it's actually going to happen. That's exactly right. And so when you get to that moment, you're like, Wow, we're taking off. Yeah, and it's, this. it's happening. <laughs> but that's, that's the preference thing. So yeah. we can know how we would like things to go. But as long as we don't get confused, that that means it's going to happen. Because that's where the disappointment and the suffering. sadness That's the, the gap suffering. between exactly. where you are and what you want exactly. to happen. You get attached. Exactly. Okay. So you would prefer not to skin your knee. It's completely fine to have that preference. But if you do skin your knee, can you be with it? If you're in a story about, I, I wish I could, I didn't skin my knee and it's awful and I go buy a new pair of jeans and I don't want to put Band-Aid on it and how could this happen to me and all of so that. So clumsy. You're, yeah. not with, you're not okay skinning your knee. So that's sort of the, it, always the interesting thing for me is you have a preference, but are you free? It's not that you can't have a preference, but are you free and what I mean by that is free from suffering if what happens does not meet your preference. Because if you want it to be different than it is, you're going to be in a place where you're unhappy and dissatisfied all the time. Beautiful. So the question is not whether you can have a preference or not. The question is, are you free around your preferences? Yeah. So. The issue is attachment, right? Yeah, yeah that's where I was, I started, mm -hmm. okay, I'm attached to the outcome. Mm -hmm. So this is fascinating. Which is also interestingly irrelevant because you can't change the reality of having scraped your knee. So you're in a, in a whole amount of energy loss around something you can't affect. <laughs> well, how, how then do we reconcile self-improvement and doing? Is that just preference at a different scale? Last night, uh, we uh, were talking about uh, self-improvement as a synonym for self-hatred. Wow. Yeah. So. Because it's based on the assumption. You're not enough. That's right. Yeah. That you need to be improved. So people will say, you know, to talk to me about that. And I'm constantly going to, you don't know who you are. You, you have opinions about something and you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You have to get out of your head. You have to stop this story. You have to stop believing that you know something in order to begin to get a sense of who you really are. So the other line that goes with that is, if you never had another thought for as long as you live, you would be more brilliant than you can even imagine. So thinking is simply a process of turning the lights down. That's all that's going on with it. We think instead of being. We're closing the receptors. As soon as you, do you need to think to be in the moment or is that not thinking? It is not thinking. Now that's what's- channeling, like let's go back to the creativity thing. That's like just happening. That's right. You're not thinking. It's that's just, right. Okay. Yeah, Beca and, and we can feel it, right? If we, if we tune in, we can actually feel what the difference is like. So, you know, I just had a brilliant idea. And what that translates into is, 
this brilliance just happened and I saw it. But ego, of course, will take ownership of it. I thought of that. Well, no, I didn't think of it. I was just there and it happened and I saw it. Thought happened. Thought happened. Thought happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I Please. take the spiritual aspect of that for me? I mean, that's one of the biggest uh, like gradient leaps in my practice was when I met Sherry and the introduction to self-hate, right? Mm -hmm. Because what we get stuck in is, so I know uh, I've been given some talent, let's just say, and I could be really good at it but I can't bring myself to do the work that allows me to express that. So there's something wrong with me for not being able to do it, right? Yes. And so I feel bad and upset and angry and I decide that I need to take a self-improvement course because if I could just be more disciplined and if I could just work harder and if I could just get the time management right and if I could just, then I would be a, a different person, a person who could be creative and express the talent that I've been given rather than being this loser, right? Yeah. What is that other than self-hatred, right? That it's the process of being, of what it does on a spiritual level is the intelligence that animates, this is divinity itself that is excessively creative and it's very expressive and it's unique and it's curious and it's kind and it's intelligent. But that is what is being negated by the conversation that says, this isn't enough to and has to be improved. I mean, what are you doing there other than dissing God? <laughs> right? Yeah. But in order to move from, I am somebody with whom, because it's endlessly entertaining to be in a self, on a self-improvement program. You can stay stuck forever. Yeah. Right? Because that, that force that negates, that self-hating process that Sherry was, I mean, all of her work is around that notion of negation that once we get past, when we realize it's a program, that all it's ever doing is to maintain itself. Yes, this is the ego. Yeah, mm -hmm. and ask us to, okay, let's get on a program in order to improve you. And we're so, um, we're so naive, we're so, we so we're believe so, there's yeah, something so wrong with me yeah. that I'm going to go do mm -hmm. it without realizing that that's the movement away from... Just recognizing seeking, yeah. that yeah. this is not something that needs to be negated. Right? So there, I've observed that there's some language that you all use in your practice, and I'm sort of absorbed some of this through my wife, Kate, who's right over there. Hi, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and things like self-hate. I think when you say self-hate, out of context, it's it sounds very like whoa, oh my gosh, whoa, whoa, whoa. like let's not talk about self hate, and and yet if you understand just enough of it as as I do as as an observer to your practice, like is it fair to say that self hate is this the awareness of that um, or this this fiction that we're not enough and anything that deviates from the moment or from us being enough is a way of not loving ourselves. Give me some more context for this word self-hate yeah. because it's, it, I don't think anyone walks around or actually there's probably a lot of us that walk around and say like, I hate myself when, but well, not all the time. It, it, not like, all the time, but it, the way it could show up uh, most readily for people is, I can't believe you did that. 
geez, what, what, what were, you, what were you thinking? Yeah. yeah. Why, why did you say that? Like, I can't, that, that sort of thing. And the quick check-in is, how much of what you hear of that kind of thing in your head would you say to a small child? We don't even have to add that you love, just yeah. a small child. Yeah. And we realize quickly, well, no, I wouldn't say it to anybody else. And yet somehow, it's okay that it's being said to me. By me. <laughs> well, see, that's another, that's another interesting piece of it, because we assume that we're saying it. But if we watch, it's a lot like the brilliant idea. Okay? I'm, when that kind of message is going on, I'm actually listening to it. I'm not saying it. If I were saying it, I wouldn't feel so bad. Hmm. Say that one more time. So if, or let me try and play it back to you. If I were listening to it. If I were saying it. Okay, if I were so saying it. So if I hear a voice that say, God, you are such an idiot. If I said that, that's kind of a powerful position. Yeah. But I'm not saying it. You're hearing I'm it. I'm hearing it. And it's devastating. Yeah, I, I like to say that the most important words in the world are the ones we say to ourselves. But what you're saying is that we're not actually saying those to ourselves. That, that unless, is. unless we train ourselves to. So we can move into that place. Uh, in, again, the same way we would do with a child. We can either you know, beat the kid up for get your grades up or that's all, that's the end of you. Or we could mentor and assist and be present with and that sort of thing. And that's how we're changing the relationship with ourselves. So that that hateful programming that's in there yeah. um, just simply gets replaced. We just turn our attention away from it, which is the biggest part of the work that we do, is helping people learn to direct their attention where they want it to be. Get it out of the negative conversation in their head and get their attention here on awareness in the present. All right, that is a phenomenal little wrapper to put on that segment of our conversation. So I would like to take that and put it in our backpack and keep walking down the trail. Right. So now we have that, we're armed with the information, uh, a little bit about the practice. But to me, the, the voices in the head becomes complex because sometimes we say nice things to ourselves. Yeah, probably <laughs> not. Again, you know, when people start a, a meditation practice, uh, well, first of all, I will tell you that I was shocked when I found out the number of people who actually sit on a meditation cushion and have sexual fantasies. Okay. I had no idea that that's how they were getting through that 30 minutes of meditation time, <laughs> right? Um, and so, it, you know, so we have a lot of options um, when we are... Talking to ourselves. When okay. we are talking to ourselves, okay. yes. And so... Or being talked to. Yeah, being talked to. Yeah, exactly. The assumption is that I'm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, if, it, it, when we start out, uh, it starts out nice, okay? Yep. The fantasy starts out really nice. But if we stay with it, we realize it's headed toward a cliff and it's going to go over the cliff. Because with that conversation in the head, the bottom line is self-hate. All roads lead to self-hate. And, and sooner or later, it's going to take a turn and it's going to either start a conversation about how you failed in the past or that mistake that you made or the number of times that you thought this or whatever it is. It's going to go in a negative direction. Why is that? 
because because people are identified with an illusion of being separate from life. Again, it starts out really young. You know, by the time you get to kindergarten, yeah. you're starting to get some idea that there's something going on other than, and by first grade, you're into performance, yep. right? And then it's just downhill from there. So the, the brainwashing of ego started for most people long before they can remember. That conversation has been going on. By the time you hit puberty, you know, you're working out what your identity is and who you're going to be and how you're going to this and how you're going to, and you're creating a, a person basically in reaction to everything that's happening to you. And then by the yeah, time family you, status. Oh, right. Uh, by the, the time yeah. you hit 20, that's who you are. For many people, it's in opposition to their parents. They were Republicans, I'm going to be a Democrat. They, uh, they loved living in the mountains, I'm going to live at the ocean. And we think that going in an opposite direction to the way we were raised is thinking for ourselves, being our own person. But we're still just reacting to that same ego programming. All right, I'm going to, this is uh, going to be very overly simplistic on purpose. Okay. So... Great. What we're, we, you, you've said that any time we're having these conversations with ourselves that we're not, that's really a, uh, that's a form of suffering and there, there's a, a distance between us and these, these words because it's not really us talking. I'm going to intentionally also use a word that you, I think you all wouldn't use, which is like, how do I fix it? Because what you're telling me, this is sort of not ideal. There's a distance, like, this is not actual reality. I'm experiencing a story about what my reality is, that I'm not good enough or not tall enough or fast enough or smart enough or creative enough. But, so help me end that suffering. Well, the, the quickest way to end it is to realize that what you are is aware of it. And that's just a matter of paying attention, which is why people do mindfulness practice or meditation. I just happen to think that's the long way around, right? Um, so the quickest way is just to watch for a little while and realize that you are an observer of what's happening. You are the awareness that is aware of what's going on. You're not the author, okay? You're not the doer, you're the recipient of it. And, and at first, that's just really interesting. But as you go along, what you realize is, wait a minute, everything is awareness. If we want to get crazy here, awareness is a synonym for God. Okay, where does that leave us? If what you are is the awareness that is animating all life, that's good news. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And then once we, once we get with that, we start getting to this place of, you know, I would really rather live in that world of, of seeing what's happening and realizing what's happening than believing what's happening. Scrambled my brain right there. <laughs> Let me see if I can give you an example, yeah, right? So I'm sitting on the meditation cushion and I'm fantasizing. It says, oh, it would be so nice if I was haha in the on the beach right now or you know what i've got to put the laundry in as soon as i get up and meditate right i get up off the cushion and suddenly i realize oh my god i wasted 30 minutes on the cushion what an awful human being you are you just you you said you wanted to meditate and you spent 30 minutes thinking about your laundry 
I've gone from fantasy to feeling bad to self-hating, right? And, yes, in and a very short amount of time. In a, very, in a very short amount of time. And that's what Sherry was pointing to, that whatever this engages, I always coming down to there's something wrong with me because mm -hmm. it maintains a sense of me that there's something wrong with. So you never have the experience of being the awareness that's aware and really recognizing that you're way more than what this identity has crystallized into, right? Yeah. And so if, if I offer you the framework of sitting on the cushion and watching what your mind is doing, then what the mind, the mind is doing is not who, not that which is watching. Yeah. And so what is watching is the awareness that is aware of the mind doing whatever it's doing. And the mind uses personal pronouns. You're an idiot. I, I shouldn't have done believe that. I didn't do that. Yeah. So if the attention is on the mind, then I believe I am the mind. I believe the identity that the mind assumes is me. So I don't have space to be in awareness of there's more than the mind that's operating here. Yeah. And what, what, if the attention was on that, then I'm not going to believe that I am the eye of the mind, right? So the way to fix it is to know that the mind operates. In meditation, that's what you do. Attention on the mind means that I'm having this experience. But as soon as I watch the mind, attention is on the awareness watching the mind. So the way to fix it is always to redirect the attention. But you have to develop the awareness to recognize the identification with the mind first yeah, yeah. in order to redirect the attention to the awareness that's aware of that. And you can redirect it however you want to redirect it, right? So That's the muscle that you're actually That's developing. the muscle that's that you're actually... Yes. Yeah. Attention and awareness are the things that we actually practice in Zen meditation. Always the ability to redirect the attention to where you want it to be. Which is here. Which is here. <laughs> yeah. Because if I'm in a conversation mm -hmm. of I'm unhappy and oh my God, why is this happening? With practice, I know that experience implies that I'm identified with my mental process. So now I need to bring my attention to the breath, to the sky, to the birds, and I'm out, I drop out of the process of attending to the conversation and I'm back here. Which gives me a chance to have a different life experience or a different choice of, of saying something or doing something or not being engaged in that place. Kate, my wife, has just given us a good way of thinking about this. Let's talk take very practical. I want to get in shape. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier about self-improvement. And, mm -hmm. and so it could be a preference that I could be fit because then I would, would have fewer limitations to my life. I could be more free mm -hmm. if I were fit. Mm -hmm. So let's come at that from two different walks, from the walk of the traditional way. I think that we doesn't are, work. we're programmed to think <laughs> the one that we know doesn't work, that's broken, which is I'm not enough. I, I'm here and I need to be there. There's a gap. I need to fill that gap and improve so that I'm in shape. Yeah. And the way I do that is I whip myself, <clears throat> whip myself out of bed every morning at 5 a.m. to go do push-ups and go, go for a jog. That is, I would say, the typical... And then you get talked out of it, then, and then you, then you feel you bad feel that you like don't it, it. and yeah. then next you month you do it, and then, yeah. Right, and there's a cycle there. And there is that cycle, yeah. because in, the, in the, the real message there, what's really going on, is uh, I want to get in shape, and I can't. Okay. That's the, that's the real package. 
That's the, there's the second part to that story. That's right. Okay. And we don't hear that second part. We live it, but we don't hear it, right? And so because if, if we got the second part of it, which is what's really going on, then we would realize that we are caught in a loop and that the loop is a loop of failure. And, and that's the point, okay? Which is the hardest thing for people to get, that that ego doesn't actually want us to be different. It doesn't want us to be happy. It doesn't want us to be successful. Not at all. Because all it wants is attention. It just wants the conversation. That's right. Yeah. And if, if, so if we're happy, we tend not to be in conversation with ego. And so having us be unhappy really works for ego. Is that biological? I, I, I don't really have any idea. I, I was saying last night at the event, you know, I, I suspect that if there is a purpose to this plane of existence, it's for us to learn to uh, choose unconditional love, uh, which, you know, a lot of famous spiritual types have suggested is <laughs> yeah. an option for us as human beings. I don't have any idea. I know that uh, when we have fantasies like Jungle Book, Mowgli, is that the guy's name? Uh, that what people are trying to picture is, what would it be like if we weren't, if we weren't brainwashed by human conditioning? Yeah. What would be possible for us as human beings? And of course, that, that illusion of being separate from life that ego is, you know, I think in, in Hinduism, um, it, the, the story about that is, you know, God is going around godding and it's really boring because if you're God, I mean, you know how every story ends, right? And so God decides to play hide and seek and split up into these billions and billions and billions of pieces. And the game is for all the pieces to wake up and realize that they are God. Okay, well, that's a kind of a, an interesting way of looking at it because that is kind of what's happening with people. People are trying to wake up to what's actually going on rather than the suffering story that they're caught in. Let's go back to the example that Kate was suggesting we look at. So, because I think it's a powerful framework. There's a gap, I wanna get in shape and that what, what I'm gonna try and play back what you just said, Sherry, which is I wanna get in shape, but there's another part of that phrase, which is like, but, but I'm not going to. But I'm not going to because my ego doesn't want to change. It's identified with who I am, and, and who I am is, is like, it's trying to keep me the well, same it, it, as I yeah, am. Yeah, right it's, it's not even so much trying to keep you. It, it's, it's going to stop you because that's how you're going to suffer. Okay. Right? And that's where the attention comes in. So as you say, you know, the voice is going to wake you up at five o'clock in the morning, start yelling at you to get out there and go jog or whatever it is. That's the relationship. Because that ego voice that's, that's yelling at you to get up and get out there and jog is yelling at you. You're not, you're not doing that. Yeah, I'm not the one who's doing the yelling. That's yeah. exactly right. You were going to say well, something. Well, I was just going to do the analogy. So the voice says, get up and get out there, right? It's punishing. Mm -hmm. Then it says... It, eventually, it's you know what? Don't get up. You're you, not going to do it anyway. You don't need to do it today. Yeah. You can do it yeah. tomorrow. You can do it tomorrow. Oh my God! Why didn't you get up and do it today? Right. So 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 what what that is 
that is what I identify as me. I'm the person who is, even though I'm being told that, that's the ego. When I identify with that, I'm the person who, God, I have to get up this morning and go do it because I'm told I need to do that. Or I'm a bad person because I didn't do that. Or, oh, I forgot to do that. What a wrong, what, that, that whole conversation of ego is identifying with that, right? Sure, there's judgment and right. all those things. So, so if you were doing an awareness practice around getting in shape, yes. the first thing you, we would encourage you to do is to notice how you don't get to work out. To notice the, the pro, that the process loop you're in is make a goal for self-improvement, <laughs> get beaten into doing it, then finally get, get talked out of doing it, and then beaten for getting talked out of doing it as a person who is bad and therefore needs to be improved, maintaining your sense of insufficiency. You can chart anything you choose to do as a goal to go through those steps. And so to recognize that when you, when you say, I want to make a difference, you're actually in step one of ending up being an insufficient human being who can never make a goal. That process loop is what you're in over and over and over and over again. With just different content. Different I, content, yeah, right? I want to I wanna be happier. I want money. I want more money. I want to be smarter, wanna... more creative, more talented, right. so you, 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 real, you recognize the way in which the voices talk you out of doing what your heart desires to do right? Yes. So now that I'm convinced that that's not me, but that's a program that, pr that controls me and that it's never going to go anywhere except reinforcing the that feeling yeah. that I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not willing enough, whatever. Then I, I start to work with tools that are in the practice, like recording and listening, which says, okay, well, first place, I don't need to be beaten into doing this. I can have a different way of having a relationship with someone who would encourage me to do this rather than beat me up for doing it. So, you know, you pick up the recorder and you, you, you develop a relationship with the intelligence that animates and, the, and Cherry's words of, for that are, I'll help you. What? Oh, I love you exactly, exactly as, as you, you are, are and I'll help you be any way you want to be. So it's not coming from a place of you're, you're an awful human being because you can't work out and yeah. stay in shape. So you want to do that? I'll help you any way I, I want. I, I can in order to help you do that. So let's set up a time. Five o'clock might be too, er too, too early for you to do it. How about six? And the, and the relationship between that voice and what it is that I'm attempting to do is always encouraging, always kind, always compassionate, and never ever doubting your adequacy to do this, your ability to do this. And if you don't do it, it's all right. And yes. it has the merit that mentoring presence has the merit of being who we authentically are, what we actually are as our true nature. Okay, so I'm going to try and put what we just walked through in fewer words, and then you can correct me because I'm not going to get it perfect. But there's a relationship that we have in our culture where we've been conditioned to start on this content loop, which says that I want to do it. I can do it. I'm not enough. Oh my gosh, this is hard. You didn't do it. Now you're dumb for not doing it. And when you're not dumb for not doing it, maybe you shouldn't do it because that's change and change is hard and you've always done this in the past. 
So there's just and there basically is something wrong with you. Yeah, and, and you're lacking. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it says like, oh, yeah, and you're broken, and so mm-hmm. they you need to be fixed. And then instead of losing weight, you should go into therapy and fix yourself, and then it would be easier for you to lose weight and whatnot. Okay, so that is a that is the suffering that your practice talks about. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, what I'm going to take Ashwini as just saying is, and again, correct me because I'm going to this a little bit, but I'm going to try and put it in words that are, I think our audience is familiar with. And that is, you're great just the way you are, and I want to help you do the thing that you want to do. Yes. And, and it's, uh, again, you know, if you had um, a child who uh, wanted to do whatever, you know, want, wanted to uh, play soccer okay. and, uh, and isn't particularly gifted at it uh, or is listening to voices because maybe he or she is smaller than the other kids or whatever it is that's going on. How would you be? How would you be with that child? That's how we learn to be with ourselves. And the the proof that it's who we are is that we do know how to be that way with somebody else. With the child. Then we don't give ourselves basically the same respect that we give someone who we care about. Exactly so. And so it's not like we have to make something up. We just have to tap into um, to who we really are. Which is a kind, caring, generous person who's willing to do that for a child, but we're not actually willing to talk to ourselves about that. That's right, because we were convinced early on that we're not worthy. Because a lot of adults told us in a lot of different ways that we weren't meeting the standards and that we were not okay and that we needed to try harder and that that was a failure and that which then became what the voice in the head tells us all the time. So yeah. we internalize that, and that maintains that sense of unworthiness, and that's the only thing I'm in relationship with, as opposed to being in relationship, which is a weird thing to say because it's only different aspects of us, but we, why do we have a limited view that we're only the mind? We're so much more. So there are various ways in which I can be a human being who has a preference or has a desire to do something, and I can be that which can assist that human being to do it. Through kindness and love and compassion. Yeah, and again, the proof of it is that we know how to do it with somebody else. I mean, your whole deal is helping people in that way, right? And there's no way you're going to say, well, the reason you're not able to do that is because you're flawed, okay? You're not as smart as other people. You're not as talented as other people. That's why it's not working for you. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, and not only would you not say that, but you know that that's not true. Yeah. And so the reason you say the things you say to people is because you can see what is true about them and you can see that they can't see it. Yeah. And so your role in mentoring them is to help them see themselves the way they really are. Which right? is, you have all the wisdom you need right now. Absolutely. Yeah, everything, there's no distance between where you are and where you want to be. Everything exactly. Is, yeah. And yeah. you would know that if you did not attend to a conversation to that voice in your head telling you the exact opposite every second of the day, <laughs> Yeah. right? It sounds so easy. Well, and of course <laughs> it's not. But you know, the, the, the fun thing about that too is with that, um, with that process that People believe that the ego, that that negativity in their head is who they really are. 
So we, we talk about it as the cesspool theory of uh, humanity. You know, that if I'm not careful, if I look inside, I'm just gonna find this God awful quagmire of nastiness in there. I don't wanna look, okay? I don't, I don't wanna look. But so much of our experience proves to us that that's the false layer. That's what got added on. Again, all you have to do is look at any little kid. Yeah. And you realize Cute the and joyful and crapola yeah. Yeah. got added on afterwards, right? And that what we're doing is moving through that nastiness and negativity back to who we really are. That is the best lens, right? The way that I, I often talk about it is I'll often start speeches, which, all right, who wants to come to the front of the room and draw me a picture? Now you're talking to a 3,000 people at a conference or uh, a leadership seminar for a Fortune 100 company. And you know how many hands go up? Zero. There's not one hand in the room that goes, yeah, yeah. I want to come up and draw a picture in front of my peers because yeah. like, I don't know what I'm going to draw. I don't... And yet, if you ask a first grade classroom or a kindergarten classroom, every single hand goes up. Yeah. So there's yeah. if that is, a, that is a very simple lens for yeah. looking at this, yeah. the layers that... Yeah. Culture and it is the proof. Yeah, it's, it's the proof. It's all the proof that we need. Yeah. Okay, so there's, to me, this is a lot of the conversation of the relationship that we have with ourself, which is a lifetime of work. And, and how do you end suffering the conversations we have with ourselves? That's one thing. But your most recent book is Don't Suffer, Communicate. And I suppose there's a way that you can talk about that with yourself, but the book uh, is a series of letters of people writing into you, Sherry, and it's about, let's, let's introduce, maybe make this a little bit, I'm not sure if it makes it more complex or maybe more simple, like how do you do this in relationship to another person? Because right now, over the most of the conversation, we've done talking about the voices in our head, and I think that's really relevant because that's what we're, most of the people, we all have, or not mm -hmm. most of the people, we mm -hmm. all have that. Mm -hmm. So with your new book, Don't Suffer, Communicate, I am in relationship with a lot of people. One is my wife, she's sitting right there. And I notice that there are different, we have different qualities or I have a different quality of the ability to communicate. Sometimes I can communicate really clearly. Sometimes I can't communicate very clearly and that my inability to communicate clearly creates suffering. Mm -hmm. So let's take this, this construct that we've had for the conversation for the past you know, 30 minutes here and how do you lift and stamp that into communication with others? Or is it the same thing? It is. Okay. It's the same thing. And that is you have a conversation where you see someone else that you you know that they have all the skills or they're, you meet them where they are. Put it in your words because I'm watching it. So, there, so first of all, um, so we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think we're very present, right? So mm -hmm. I'm looking to see what comes up for me to say, and I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. But let's just say that you're in a situation of some difficulty, right? Okay. So you're annoyed or irritated. Okay. What, what's really happening for you is, let's go back to preferences. You wanted pizza. Uh, with Chinese with, with, <laughs> No, you want pizza with <laughs> cheese, and you clearly stated you wanted pizza with cheese. Uh -huh. Something happened, and you got pizza with spinach, okay. right? You can watch that irritation, that resentment, that how often do I have to say this? Have, was I not clear? Whatever it is that is the 
the ego identification that arises that separates you from that other person that's what you're feeling right and oftentimes you could go one of two ways you could say haven't i told you didn't i tell you that i want pizza with cheese right yep that's the ego talking your react the reaction to not having your preference met not having what you want wanting it to be different than it is causes you to be identified with an orientation of irritation and separation from which you speak yeah right sure you could say that or you could say you know what if i say something she's going to be really upset with me and i don't want to hurt her feelings so i'm just going to eat the pizza so you don't communicate so regardless whatever happens there's a way in which our first level is a reactive process and that reactive process goes back to exactly what we've been talking about i've been either conditioned to explode when my preferences are not met or i'm going to withdraw because and not communicate because i don't want to hurt someone else's feelings that's your identity from which the communication happens yes and so then you suffer because in both cases in you both suffer. cases you suffer yeah. right you can't say something or you say something and you feel bad because it comes back and says you love her you just yelled at her how could you do that right. can't you just go to some self improvement classes chase <laughs> and work out how to improve your communication skills yeah. right So the 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 reason it's the same is if I'm not present then when I find present I can go gosh I wish I had I wish I could have had the cheese pizza right mm-hmm. now there's a way in which I could go work out what my deal with not getting my preferences met is mm-hmm. and be with my recorder and work that process sure. out but if i'm present and i know that i tend to either withdraw or to uh, blow exp- or blow out if i'm there for that moment i could just go you know what i wish i had i wish i had spinach pizza instead of cheese pizza no you don't you wish you had cheese pizza I instead of spinach, spinach pizza. pizza right we knew what, that <laughs> well whatever it is right i i'm able to be there and have the big energy you could yeah. say gosh i really wish i had the pizza that i asked for and so there's a way in which i could be authentic with my experience rather than coming from that place of oh i can't say anything or yeah. i'm just going to explode yeah right okay. and and the other person may know something about this and they may not explain well that i might be working all of that out here in your brain yeah because uh well no in presence oh, okay. <laughs> actually um and because i've been practicing for a while and i'm aware that i have a tendency to start yelling when i don't get what i want um uh, and what i'm practicing with is not doing that and so it's not i'm not uh i'm not it's not so much a uh self improvement process or of trying to fix me or change me process but being interested in how all of that goes on I'm conditioned in that way. That is really that is so interesting to me. So I want to see what happens when I don't yell. Or I want to see what happens if I go in the other room and yell instead of yelling directly at the person. Or I want to see what I want to see where that comes from. Is I think this is not the answer, but are you suggesting that the way to manage that is to just recognize that you have spinach pizza in front of you? and therefore that's what was supposed to happen is that just contentment well if for for us in practice the whole thing is a process so uh, i i personally do not believe in trying to change or 
trying to fix anything or any of that. Um, but instead to watch, to, to pay attention and to see what is so. Um, and then as that happens, uh, change. We do change, but it's not because we're trying to change. We're not holding an idea. It's just, um, huh. <laughs> it just becomes interesting how this person is, is conditioned and there isn't an assumption that, that, that there's anything special about that. It's just it's what happened to one human being. It's interesting. I don't need to cling to it. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to change it. And as I pay attention to it and watch it. Your behavior will just change. The behavior will just change. And so the tool there yeah. is called recording and listening. Yeah, so I pick up my recorder yeah. and I talk. So I go to the other room and I yell and scream into my recorder. Right, instead of yelling and screaming at the person, yeah. if that's what I tend to do, or if I withdraw, I, I talk about my experience with the recorder. And then I listen to it, because part of what, what it, uh, Cherry said this at the very beginning, we seldom know what's really going on for us, because we never hear ourselves. We're being talked to all the time, but I don't know what's going on for me. You just feel bad. I just yeah. feel bad, yeah. I just feel bad. So I, I, when I put all of the contents of the mind onto the recorder, and I listen to it, I'm not the person having the experience that is talking right, about right. that, right? So I have a distance from and can listen to what this person is really going through. And then I dial into that place in me that is the wisdom, love, and compassion that, is the, that can actually offer something to that person from a place of kindness and love mm -hmm. and interest and curiosity and encouragement. And then I listen to that and I receive it. So there's a way in which I get to process everything that I am going through that has an energy that tends to come out. The programming has energy. So if I, if I, if I turn and look at the program and work with the program, I'm diffusing the energy at yep. some level so that in more and more situations, the program has less and less ability to be what speaks for me or chooses not to speak for me. Okay. Right. Yes, I'm going to try and put some context around recording and listening. Um, and I may botch this as well, so feel free to correct me or nudge or shape. But just to essentially restate, but add my own words that I think my community will identify with, which is we get so caught up in this process, who's talking to me, and is it me, or is it some other voice, or whatever, and a, a way to manage this, and it's a, a skill that your practice um, engages is to actually have a recorder, whether it's your phone or a tape thing that you play or whatever, mm -hmm. a digital one, where when you're in a frustrated moment, you will make a recording of that. And then you actually change hands too, which I think is fascinating. So that you record it with your left hand and then you listen to it with your right hand. The other way around. Other way around, other, but okay, yeah. yeah. And the, the, the process there is to then be able to listen, I would say objectively, but I don't think that's quite the right word. But. Well, but it, you're very close. Okay. It, it is like that. Um, so uh, again, if you know, Kate comes to you and, <clears throat> excuse me, she's really upset about something, um, and, and you listen to her, you, you, can, you can really do that because you, 
if it's not about you. <laughs> she, okay, she's we'll come like, back to a different tool really about, about you. No, I'm a, she's it, upset about the it, pizza. It, exactly. She's okay. upset about something. And you can just listen. And, and you are fairly objective. I mean, you can see she's really upset. And, yeah. and it's kind of interesting, right? Because you're not feeling it, but you feel sad or, you know, sorry for her. or You want to help her. Yeah. Right, you want to, you want to be, you don't want to be mean to her. Certainly. Caring and compassion, yes, all those things. All are, of yeah. those things. So you listen, you really listen to what she has to say, and then something will arise for you to say to her, yeah. and that's a big part of it. So you just listen, and then you sit with what that is uh, that you just heard, and then something will drop in for you, and you'll say it to her. Okay. I'm so sorry that you feel that way. Yeah, I'm so Next sorry. Next time, that I bet it'll be different. You. Yeah, or whatever I'm, the thing is. Whatever it is, it may land, it may not. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. If you went to your therapist, you know, you're really upset about something. You go to your therapist. You go to your best friend. You go to your whomever. It's the same process, but with the recording, you get to have that relationship with yourself. And that's the when Ashwini said we don't we don't listen to ourselves, so we can be really upset about something, and you know now you go to Kate and you're really you're going on and on and on, but when it's over, you don't you didn't actually hear what you said. Yeah. The energy may be dissipated, and you may feel better, but you don't actually uh, know what the process was. But with the recorded, you do. So you listen to him, be upset. And then when you listen to what he says, come, who, me, come, who be, he being me, when it, I make a recording. That's right. Okay. Only, only he's talking. It's, it really is yeah. that way. Okay. You get a sense that he's really upset. This guy you're listening to, he's really upset. Okay. And, and when you listen to that as if he is somebody else. As a third person. As way. a third person. You have a different relationship because... In fact, you, person listening, are not the person who's upset. You're, you're listening to somebody who's upset. And it's, we call that disidentification. And it's that stepped back disidentification that enables us to access the compassion for the person. Because when I hear the recording that I just made one minute ago and I'm pissed off, there's almost like there's this like, compassion because it's coming out of the speaker that's exactly as right. opposed to the conversation that's, exactly right. that's in my brain and so people will say uh in fact they did last night you know well i journal isn't it the no it's not the same the power is it's in your voice that's the power of it uh that when you hear yourself talk you can hear the emotion of it. you can hear the the depth of it in a way that you cannot access in any other way well and the other thing i would say about that journaling is we think that we're monolithic we're not that we yeah. have so many different personalities that inhabit this yeah when i journal the journaler journals but when i record and listen i have the guy who pref i have the person who prefers cheese pizza over spinach pizza and gets upset over something like that right i can mm -hmm. access that person's upset when i'm recording about it mm -hmm. i also have the person who who uh, i don't know doesn't give a wit about any of those things or th there are so many aspects of me that i can tap into in the moment that i'm on the recorder with which is what but we train ourselves yeah, to yeah. do. Whatever is going on, 
pick up the recorder and record about it and then listen to it. Don't, don't wait till that night and then record. I mean, that's fine to do if you want yeah. to do that. But it's a way of being in touch with yourself in the moment. Right. And of course, we use the recorder in different ways. I mean, the skill is you can direct your attention. So you make a recording that is what's true for you or why you want to do that. And you're upset. You can, you can like meditation, it's a redirect your attention to a recording of peace in order to go back to an experience of peace. So there's many, many ways in which you can use the recorder in communication. What it assists you to do is to get really clear about what it is that's going on for you so that you're more present and more authentic in the information that needs to be actually shared with another person, right? If I can work with all of my upset around my preferences not being met here, then in I might the space be where you're having a relationship with your recorder. Yeah, in mm -hmm. my yes. Okay. Then when I can pra in a in a practice inter in an interaction with another human being, I might just be able to say, "Gosh, you know, I'm so disappointed that I didn't get my cheese pizza." But this is fine. Yeah. This is fine. So I could probably learn to like spinach pizza. Oh, son of a gun! Son of a gun! I actually like. You know, I think I like this better than cheese. I never knew that. <laughs> So That's where it gets into the, the thing of uh, that, um, the gifts, you know, because so often when we don't get what we want, what, what we're programmed to believe we want, we wind up in places that uh, we like so much better than what we thought we liked. Let's explore that for a second. You wanted to say something? Well, I just wanted to say, I was going to give you the other tool. If, if, if you started yelling about pizza, knowing Kate, <laughs> she would probably do something like reflect you. Right? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating like, as hell. Yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's, right? Yes, it's very frustrating. Yeah. She's very really good at that. Right. <laughs> she would draw it and say, "What could could there be something that I could do to help you have a better experience?" Right. That's probably about what she would say exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So and then, so so there's a way in which when I'm with another person, we talked about this, mm -hmm. right? So you get upset and you start to yell which triggers something for me. So if I'm, I'm conditioned to believe that no one should raise their voice to me, how many times have I told you what I want? Please don't yell at me, right? It's like, I have every right to yell. I, and we start to escalate because you get more identified with your orientation that you're conditioned to be who you are. Yep. And I get identified very, very with what I'm conditioned to be. And we just get more and more separate from each other as we dissolve into our ego positions, yeah. right? And so that's not communi and and if we communicate from there, all that is being maintained is separation. Yeah, you put the problem between you, and then you're Take a position, defending one right? one side. Yeah. So the mm -hmm. communication tool around that is just simply facilitation, which would require me to drop out of my identification by be more being more interested in your experience, yeah. right? So instead of saying like. I can't be around people that raise their voice. You could say, you oh, say, it sounds like you're really upset about your pizza being uh, not the one that you wanted. Can you say a little bit more about what upsets you? And so at, what that's helping me do is really not reference my identification yeah, and get identified and, and bring that to the situation. Yeah. And so all of the facilitation tools that we talk about is how do you keep the ego out of one side of the conversation and this side stays present and compassionate with very specific tools to be able to get you out of your identification and I, right I here. I will tell you that, that the 
that that was one of the things that initially attracted me to Kate a long time ago was I would be frustrated. And I don't, I'm not a yeller, but I would be frustrated. And she would have a curiosity, just a natural curiosity, even before she started this process, just a natural curiosity like, oh. And there was an instant compassion versus if in my family or in my friend circle, if I would get frustrated, then someone else would have a different point of view. And then, then you've established these you yeah. know, two egos of the problem in the middle. You guys call it the scrambler. Mm-hmm. There's this like a, yeah, a distortion a, all around. Yeah, yeah. You you identified with what was happened in your family of origin, and I'm mine. And then we have this problem. And just early on in a relationship, Kate would say, "Oh, well, tell me more about that." Mm-hmm. And then you, I, I would immediately because that was not the ex- the reaction that I was expecting. I would be put off balance in, a, right. in the best way. That exactly, yeah. and and it would redirect your attention for sure in you, in, in a millisecond. Yeah. You couldn't be in that story any longer because wait a minute, what what is this? Yeah. And you said a minute ago something that uh, many people w- would relate to, that for an ego being reflected is the most annoying thing in the world. <laughs> okay, because I am identified with whatever it is, it, ego that has going on. And you start reflecting me. I don't want you to reflect me. I want to be identified in this position. Yeah. And I want you to get identified too, so that you can argue with me, right. so that I can be more identified and more, and it'll be your fault. And It's almost a, like a point of pride that this is who I am. And you see this especially in politics, right? Present someone with information that's actually a fact yeah, and what happens to the that the receiver of that fact? They don't go, "Gosh, thank you for sharing that with me." That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's just I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. No one has ever said that in a political argument. Right. It's like that's wrong. You're stupid. Where'd you get your information? Mm-hmm. Well, you could, and we talk about this a lot. Ego is a position. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. It's, true. it's, it's a point. Mean. It's a it's a, a perspective that I'm attached to and I identify with. It's who I am, by God. Yeah, don't mess with who I am. You're yes. trying to mess with who I am. That's right. Don't That's try right. to don't try to change me. Right. Mm-hmm. So we spent the first two thirds of the conversation talking about the relationship that we have in our own head. Then we're talking now about the relation, like communication, and there's it's it's I, ultimately the same thing because we have an ego. But what the recording and the listening process does, we talked about tools a couple times, and this is the the. I want to have a handful of practical takeaways. So in your, you use Zen awareness practice, is that, okay. In Zen awareness practice, whether you're communicating with yourself or, or others and you're, there's a, there, you're struggling, this idea, one of the primary tools in your practice is recording and listening. Well, the, the secret to it, so Ashwini was giving us one on, um, on how to deal with upset. But the main thing is that the world that people are living in most of the time, when they're in that conversation and conditioned mind, is not real, okay? It's not. And so the simplest uh, example of that is everything goes just hunky-dunky all day long, uh, but there was one interaction that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. There was something that whatever. So you come home, how was your day? Well, and you launch into that story, right? So people are are conditioned, trained 
to be looking for the negative because we're looking out through the eyes of ego, which is a negative system, mm -hmm. right? So we're judging other people and situations and circumstances and it's what I don't like and how that is. And it's a negative world mm -hmm. that people are living in because they're living inside their head, okay? What's really true is it's a beautiful day. I feel great. I have plenty to eat. I slept well last night. I'm a happy human being. That's what's actually true. There are thousands of things that I love, that I enjoy, that I appreciate, that I'm grateful for, but those don't get any airtime because the focus on what's negative is what we're trained to. So we make a lot of recordings about what is true as a way of training ourselves to come back to the present, to look for what's going well, what I enjoy, what I appreciate, what's, what's fun, what's interesting, what's exciting, what's possible. Is this, uh, would a parallel but different nomenclature be a gratitude practice? Like you're grateful for these things? It, or well, you're, you talk about it being true. It, it's whatever is true. Okay. It's what is true. And so uh, as long as we're focused on what's true, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about whatever is so for us. And for most people, gratitude is a part of that. And gratitude is often a way into it. Got it. Uh, I think gratitude is a way into truth because it allows you to see the things that are true that you're, you just exactly happen to be thankful for them, but that's exactly right. they're true. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And in fact, you know, once people get the hang of gratitude, there is not enough, we don't have the ability to catalog everything that we're grateful for in any given moment. Yeah. We can't, we couldn't think of it all. We certainly couldn't say it all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So one last, one more thing, Ashwini, I'm going to reorient us. So recording and listening is a tool that you all have developed. There's one where you say what you're, what you're frustrated about and then you listen to it and realize that, oh my gosh, that person needs we'll help and compassion. Recording. Compassionate and need to give that person love and care. And then there's another one of saying everything that you're grateful for and then you can listen to that whenever. And that also is a tool for, wait a minute, why am I focused on this non-reality world where I'm X and Y and yes. Z? And with recording and listening, um, it, it becomes your companion. Right? So instead of subjecting everybody else to every <laughs> nuance of our uh, reality, that becomes the companion. And so you're, you're talking whatever is going on with you. You're, you're angry, you're upset, you're sad, you're, you're, uh, you're scared, you're uh, nervous, you're anxious, you're, you're ecstatic, whatever it is, there's a way to express it and be with it, with what's actually happening. Sorry, Shwini, I well, well, that, I was just going to, so just to, to that, that presence, we think, is being in the moment. But presence is being with whatever is going on. So you know, you have a direct experience of how it is, rather than not being here for it, right? So if I'm with a recorder, and I'm actually talking about what's going on for me, I'm actually with myself in a way that I wouldn't be if all I was doing was coming out of the identification. So the recorder, I just wanted to underline what Cherry was saying, the recorder assists me to be with my experience of a human being. In, in any moment. In any moment. And you can be happy or sad or frustrated or scared. Or, yeah. 
-hmm. Well, and the other thing that I was going to say is, so if we, if we say it in a different way, awareness practice is retraining your vision, the way you see the world, right? Because as the Buddha said, what, what the basis of suffering is ignorance. And what that is, is I ignore everything that's true and focus on what's not true. The example being, I had a fantastic day and one thing went wrong. But what my entire story of my life is going to be for that day is what went wrong. So in order to train ourselves to not see through the negative lens, we have to develop a way of seeing the yeah. truth of how our, our life experiences if I'm not referencing the negative system. And that's what the recorder assists you to do because you record your present. I, I recorded about the person whom I met on the street they smiled at me and it was such a great experience, you know, and I wandered into that florist shop and the smells of the flowers. I mean, that doesn't get Any put into yeah. the yeah. system, yeah. right? So I have my, my life experience is a series of bad moments rather than an awareness of all of what's going well for me or what is not even going well, what is for me. I was yeah. really sad when I read that, that letter from that friend of mine who's having a hard time. But that's more real than not recognizing that that happened in my day. And the only thing that I'm aware of is that conversation of criticism that I had with my boss. Yeah. Very powerful. It's, it, it's so simple and yet so, what is it, easy but, what is it, simple? Simple but not easy. There you go. And, simple but and, not easy. And yet, it, that, uh, that's also a way that we're trained to believe because um, oftentimes, you know, we'll be in a retreat or something and somebody, well, all the lights will come on. And, and then they, they kind of look amazed and they say, but you know, it can't be that simple. But it is that simple. Yeah. It really is. And it is something that we need to practice. We need to practice that simplicity. Yeah, that, there's, I think the, the concept of a practice is finally gaining some traction, whether it was, you know, wh whatever the mechanisms. I just wrote a book and it's about having a daily creative practice because that's, it's, it's a practice, right? You yes. need to be doing it repeti re repeatedly, whether it's a yoga practice or in An this case, practice. awareness practice, right? Mm -hmm. you're, it's like, you're never, you never nail it. You're pretty good. If I'm, I'm guessing that, um, how long have you been in this practice, Sherry? 112 years. <laughs> at least <laughs> and that uh you're still practicing oh god yes and <laughs> I, and the truth of the matter is it's been about 50 years and uh and yes and so, i don't know this obviously but the buddha was like 82 or something when he died and he was practicing on the day that he died because because we're not actually getting anywhere but here yeah. right yeah yeah that's fascinating well and the other thing that it's not it why are we so conditioned to believe that something that is um, so precious is easily delivered? That we won't have to work for it. That yeah. somehow or the other there's a silver bullet that allows us to be happy all the time. I mean, you, you have to work for it. If you want to become good at an instrument, you keep practicing mm -hmm. and get better and better at an instrument. But yet our happiness is not worth that effort. That's fascinating. I, I, I'm, um, I feel like the practice part of it is so easily lost because there's, 
so many emotions. Our experience of reality is, it, it is, we've got so many labels for it, we've got so many inputs. Um, is there, you know, what, what's the, um, I'm reluctant to use this language because it's easily chucked aside, but what is, what are we supposed to do? Like, let's put it in really simple, like, is this just, uh, is our practice a series of daily practices and then are we supposed to um, go off to summer camp, like awareness camp, in the same way we go off to, uh, we, we go to college to get good at a particular thing? Like, well, how do, how do, how do you we... You know, uh, Chase, it, yeah. it, 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 I always go to sports here, okay. okay? If you decided that you wanted a gold medal mm -hmm. in, the, in freestyle swimming in okay. the Olympics, yep. You would get a coach and you would practice. You would train, mm -hmm. right? Now, if, if you just kind of want to be sure you don't drown, if you happen to fall in the water, then that's, that's, a different, that's a different situation. And that's where people are with awareness. You know, if you want to awaken and end suffering, which is our whole, uh, you know, thing, uh, then you get a coach. <laughs> and you start practicing and you bring everything in your life into that practice. But if it, you, know, you just kind of want to feel better or you want to have a sense of how things, then you approach it that way. And that's, that's what it comes down to. You know, if, if, uh, if we're talking about creativity and somebody is a, they're a painter, right? Um, well, you know, you just go down to the local art store and get some paint and some canvases and there you go. But if you really want to to hone that skill. If you want to devote your life to painting, then you're going to put in a lot of hours every day. And it's going to, you're going to have to get past the, the biggest thing for everybody, which is, I don't want to, I don't feel like it, which is ego's whole <laughs> message, right? And so we throw that out, we put that aside, we realize, that's actually a green light. When I hear, I don't want to, I don't feel like it, I know it's ego, I know it's trying to stop me, I know that's not the direction I wanna go, I wanna redirect my attention to my heart's desire, and that's what I'm gonna put my energy into. So it's really, you know, it's really up to us. It's how much we want whatever it is that, that we want. Yeah. I, I mean, you fall in love with training. That's my big deal. It's, a, it's training, right? Love, love learning. Love yeah, learning. love learning, love training, love watching the opponent that I'm facing that is trying to stop me from doing something and learning to not go for it. Yeah, not right? get sucked into it. Not that, get yeah. sucked into it. And we kid all the time. So the, the framework of watching the mind sabotage the human being is awareness. Developing a relationship with the awareness that's creative and being its hands and paintbrushes and being its instrument to produce what it, what it can is the second part of that training, right? Yeah. So I, I learned to see, I trained myself to see how the mind sabotages me and I redirect my attention to be in relationship with the intelligence that wants to sing and dance and write and love and laugh. Right, and that's what I'm training for. And the it's Joseph Campbell. The path is 
something that is has been discovered by every person who's ever been creative or spiritual. The roadblocks are the same. The mind works the same way. So if, if I'm interested enough to recognize how uniquely I have been conditioned to uh, be stopped, mm-hmm. and now I'd say this with process mapping, everybody has about nine or 10 process maps around ways how- that, ways, wa- that you get sto- ways, wa- you ways that you get stopped. Ways that you get stopped. And yeah. if I can recognize that, I have a choice. And then I can practice doing it with anything. The training doesn't have to be with a paintbrush. I, c- I mean, the one that I use in a retreat is every morning I wake up and before my feet hit the ground, I would pat my nose three times. Every time I walk out of the door, I would remember to bow to the door before leaving the house. If you can train yourself to do that without going to, you're a loser. You can't, you can't entertain any conversation about how you forgot or how you didn't. If you can train yourself to do that every day for 60 days, you, your life will be transformed because you would get the process that you can apply to, to anything, anything yeah. you want to do. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big training process because that's another way you get stopped. Oh my God, I've got to become this entire different human being and do it in a different way. Yeah, there's a set of instructions for this thing versus it becomes one basically thing that you're trying to do You could just life. pick yeah. the smallest thing that you, you want to train yourself in and just watch how you can, with encouragement, do that. It's not about doing it. It's about seeing first how you're stopped from doing it and then how you can talk yourself in a very kind way into doing it every day. You have to be present in order to be able to bow to the door before you get out of it. So if you can do it for 30 days straight, imagine the level of presence that you're cultivating. That sounds like a challenge. (laughs) And the other thing uh, about this, because people will get confused about it, uh, we don't see ego as an enemy. Actually, we see it as our greatest ally because it's the thing that will make us choose, have a different choice. Say that again. Well, because the ego is so devoted to suffering mm-hmm. and the negativity, it, if we don't want to live in that negative world of ego failure, mm-hmm. uh, then it's going to be right there saying, here's your choice, here's your choice, here's your choice. And so in that way, it's really assisting us to make the choices for freedom and peace and love and joy and all of the things that we want. Well, there are so many ways that you guys affect uh, positive change in the world. Uh, I've observed it a lot in, in my wife and a little bit that I, I have participated on the fringes of your community. And it's really inspiring and exciting. And it is a it seems like a recipe for life, as, as you were just saying, Ashwini. Like, if you want to change this one thing, just change this thing here and then that will affect every aspect yes. of your life. If you can be present, touch your nose three times before you put your feet on the floor for 30 days, I don't know. It's not popular though. <laughs> because it's probably the hardest. That's Do you know, have, have yes. either of you done that for 30 days straight? Oh, all kinds of things. Yeah. I, 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 I love training. I love practice. And so always coming up with the with the next thing that the the difficulty is I'm very fond of roping everybody I know into <laughs> whatever it is that I'm doing and which is great because in a way that's how pra- our practice has grown because it's let's do this let's 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 do that we could do this well and, if it, uh, yeah that's what I wanted to share with the audience if any of these ideas are interesting or exciting what's the best way for them to 
pay attention to your work aside from getting your latest book, Don't Suffer, Communicate. But what, what's how would you encourage people who for whom are inspired by this conversation to like, what's the first step to get into your world? I think the book is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Any of Sherry's books, actually, because they're so. We, you know, we, that's, that is one of the good things about our practice. It, it, Ashwini started out talking about it as being scientific, and it is. It's incredibly scientific. I mean, we are religious types. Some people find that difficult, so then we say we're spiritual types. But the, the, actually, we're scientists. And so people don't have to uh, believe anything. In fact, we encourage people not to believe anything, <laughs> uh, but instead to just uh, apply the principles of this, as we were just saying, to anything. And so uh, with our books, you know, we've kind of covered the waterfront. I don't know what we're gonna do the next one on because whatever issue somebody's got going, there's a book on it. So whether it's fear or depression or parenting or, um, uh, relationship. communication, re relationship, whatever it is that somebody, if that's the place they'd like to work, then the principle, they can apply these principles to that particular content. So they can just go to livingcompassion.org and, um, you know, play around and, and see what, uh, what draws them, what they're right. attracted to. So the, the books give you the frameworks that we've been talking about, right? It mm -hmm. introduces you to how awareness practice is. So what are the principles that you have a mind that it, you know, has good conversations going on, you. Yeah. there's <laughs> ego, there's self-hate. Mm -hmm. You start to get the vocabulary conceptually. Yeah. Then when you come to the website, you want to develop a practice. Okay, so if you don't want to do it with your, you know, touch your nose three times before your feet hit the ground, what's offered on the website are all of the different ways in which you can practice attention on awareness. So you could do a reflective listening buddies program where you train yourself to reflect another person no matter what is going on for them and listen to them, right? And then you say it and you practice being reflected and listened to. Sure. That, that might be a skill, but in every practice offering, the skill that you're learning is to redirect the attention, be present, uh, and pay attention, right? Yeah, you're just putting it in different contexts. Right, so you can go and do a recording and listening class. You can do a reflective listening buddies program. You could get a coach. You could come on retreat. Um, you could virtually meditate with us pretty much anywhere. So there's lots of practical ways in which you have a direct experience of the principles that are in the books. Yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of what we call processing. So... If you just read the book and you were practicing, you're still in relationship with yourself in how you're practicing, right? Yeah. And you want to have an, uh, an objective mirror that allows you to assist yourself to see. So you do that with a recorder, but there's so many ways in which we come together where you can be facilitated yeah. in order to see your experience and see the next place. So that's what you'd find on our website, which is all of these ways in which and ways and you can learn yeah. tools, you can develop skills, you can hook up with someone who will assist you to see your process. And then we get together as groups in groups to basically explore a particular topic. So the retreat on, in December is about communication. So now all of us are looking at how we're communicating and how we get identified and what we say and what we're told not to say, and then work with tools to practice transcending that.
so. Kate has been helpful in um, me exploring this for myself and your community, and it's been really, really inspiring. I wanna recognize that and congratulate you all for building an amazing community. Um, and also uh, give a shout out to your Africa Vulnerable Children Project, which to, uh, for people who are interested in that, is you've been taking, taking working with the community of 11,000 people in Africa to um, facilitate, what, how would you describe it? We feed a thousand kids a day, plus the, the rest of the community that takes care of them. Um, and we send them to school. Uh, there was no school. Uh, and, and now we have a school on the property, uh, but we also send them to government school so they can be official. And this, uh, is it two years now? We have our first- Four graduates. Uh, we sent four girls to onto college for the first time. Uh, Ever in the whole community. Yeah, they've they never wow. seen even kids go to school. Uh, girls especially. Yeah, yeah, girls especially. But certainly college, they've just never heard of such a thing. So uh, yeah, so that's what we do. They're our family in Zambia and... Uh, uh, Thank you very much for being on the show. I know you, oh, you're such a pleasure. busy Thank you. in and out. And an amazing event last night. Kate was very, very excited when she came home last night. And I heard, or heard a lot about it. So you're having a huge positive impact on so many people. I want to say thank you. And um, the best way, again, if you've been inspired by this conversation is to go to livingcompassion.org. Mm -hmm. um, and there are plenty of tools, plenty of ways to participate in the community. Thanks so much for being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. a pleasure. It. Thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed, hardcore, badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow. And I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye. <laughs>